Over the last five weeks, we've been tracing the promises of God through scripture from Adam in the garden. Now here we are at King David. And these, these five guys, these five people, these five people groups, they trusted in God by faith, then taken and woven into the fabric of God's story by grace. And they chose to obey. And in that obeying, they found the hope of the Lord. And so we're going to talk about that today. As I kind of thought about all this, man, five weeks ago, it was a total different world than it is today. Five weeks ago, we were still gathering with a room full of folks. Uh, five weeks ago that we weren't worried about our respiratory failures. We weren't worried about supplies. We weren't worried about jobs and a booming economy. But boy, things have changed radically. But one thing hasn't changed, the promise of God. The promise of God has not changed. I, I thought about this as I kind of address some of the promises I've made. Promises I made to Tara that I'm always going to love her. Promises I made to my children that I'm always going to be there for them. Promises that I made to my grandchildren. That the biggest promise that I made to my grandchildren is that Papa will never spank you. And uh, they hauled me to that promises. Uh, we were with the little girls this past week and what I was acting up, I said, does Pop, Papa need to spank you? And she looked at me, she says, Papa don't spank people. Well, there you go. That's the promise that hails us. But here, this promise of David is leading to the promise of promise. And that's next week as we celebrate Easter. Now, I want to say this about Easter. We're going to celebrate Easter. It's going to be a great experience, even though we might have to social distance. We might not be able to gather as a family, but we'll gather online. And we're going to celebrate our risen king, the Lord of Lords, the Lord of life, King Jesus. But it goes back to that promise made that we found in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. And he will strike your head and you will bruise his heel. The head striker, Jesus Christ. He's going to strike the head of Satan, which he's done once and for all. And we can now live in victory because the promise was kept. Now, this is what the writer of Acts, which was Dr. Luke, he said about David, who we're gonna talk about today. After David had done the will of God in his generation. After David had done the will of God in his generation, he died and he was buried. Now you look at that and you say, well, that's kind of a soft epitaph there for David, but this is a compelling statement. The compelling statement was this, that David did the will of God. David did the will of God. May it be said of me that I did the will of God in my generation, that I died and I was buried. Because in the reality of things, the things that I do, they're not going to last, but the things I do for God, they ripple into eternity. And David, being the man after God's own heart, that the promise that God made to David, the Davidic covenant, who says there will be a, a, a descendant from you sitting on the throne of the house of Israel forever and ever and ever, David didn't realize that that descendant was going to be the Messiah of the world. David thought it was a, an elongation of his kingdom but actually it was the elongation of God's kingdom. David happened to be a player in the promise of God. And so are you, and so am I, that we bring the promise of God. Now, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, a man after God's own heart, uh, listen to what God said about David, also found in Acts 13. He says this, David, a man whom God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, everything I want him to do. And you look at David's life and you say, okay, did really David do everything God wanted him to do? David's life really can be divided into several kind of sections. And as I thought about that, 
that I think, you know, my life could be kind of divided in segments, segments of obedience, segments of trust, uh, segments of, of fully following. But get this, David began as a sheep herder for his dad. You know, I had vocation. And there he was in, in that kind of, that shepherding, I know you're laughing, that shepherding, I hope you're laughing, that shepherding kind of setup where he was an insignificant person in the backside of the wilderness, not even a prominent son of his father, Jesse, because he had older brothers who were prominent. David started in obscurity. But in the, obscure, the obscurity of the desert, God was working in David's heart and life and character. We'll talk about that in a bit. Then he moved into the limelight because a prophet showed up and anointed him. And when that prophet anointed him king, next king of Israel, what he did is the Bible says the spirit of God dwelled on him from that day forward. And that changed David, that transformation of David, that he went from the insignificant shepherd boy to the anointed king of Israel with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Only two people in history had the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit before Pentecost, and that was David and John the Baptist. So David, one of the rare ones, who, who had the power of the powering of the Holy Spirit living on him and in him and through him during the seasons of his life. Then he, he thrust to the national limelight by killing Goliath and then married to Saul's daughter and kind of looked like he had it all until Saul grew jealous and then tried to kill David and David was then on the run. And all those years on the run, God was working in his life, speaking to him in the desert of adversity. God was hammering out the, the content of his character. Just like what we learned in Moses, that the Hebrew word, root word for desert is to speak, and God was speaking to Moses in the desert, and he was speaking to David in the desert. And right now, in the desert of the coronavirus, is a time for God to speak to you, and for you to listen, for me to listen, to become self-aware, and let God speak to the deep places of my character that needs conformity to Christ. And then he went from the obscurity then Saul died and on Mount Gilboa and, and Jonathan, David's friend, and David, instead of celebrating the fact that he's now king, he mourned for those two. And he says this, Israel's glory lay slain on her heights. Instead of, woohoo, I'm the king now, he mourned the passing of his enemy, a man after God's own heart. He went then to solidify the kingdom of Israel and, and to be a great king and, and, and create a great legacy. But then he got bored, distracted, Bathsheba comes along. He falls into sin. Rebellion follows with his children, with Absalom uh, wanting to overthrow his kingdom. And, but all through this, God was working on David, which shows to me that I can go through the ebb and flow and seasons of my life, and God is still faithful, and God is still working. One of the greatest themes of David's life is the biggest theme is the covenant God made with him. Let me read that covenant. God said this, royal line that brings forth Jesus, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. That's in 2 Samuel 7, 16. And what's really interesting about that passage, your throne will be secure forever. One of the things the kings of the East wanted was the security of a dynasty. Man, we hear about that right now. We hear about that in silly things like college football. Does LSU now have a dynasty? Does Alabama have a dynasty? Does Florida State, my alma mater, have a dynasty? Or did, did they have a, a sentence? But what, what, is there a dynasty? Has Georgia got a dynasty? Texas have a dynasty? What, what's going on with this dynasty thing? But David wanted a dynasty, and God wanted a redeemer. And he said through David, I'm going to bless the world. Like he said to Adam, I'm going to strike his head 
Just like he said to Noah, I'm not going to destroy the world. Just like he said to Abraham, you'll be a blessing to a nation. Just like he said to Moses, I'm going to make you a nation of priests. Just like he's saying to David, I'm going to create a dynasty. And that dynasty, all these promises are yes in Christ Jesus, which is amazing to me. And today we're going to look at David. We're going to look at who he is, the man of God, and why God would choose him to bring about the one who would then be the promise keeper, the one who would strike Satan's head. Other than Jesus, there's never been a more compelling person in human history than King David. Now, you may argue and say, what about Moses? Well, Moses was the most humble man in all the earth, but David is a compelling man in the world and in human history. And so we're gonna see this. Far from perfect, God still displayed his heart and he fixed his gaze on David that he might strengthen him. God's word says this, and this is my prayer for you and me today. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support those who heart, whose hearts is completely his. Those whose heart is completely his. And I look at this and I said, God, my prayer is that you fix your gaze on me today and you see that I am totally devoted to you. I live all for Jesus. And that is my prayer for you as we look at the promise of God, the promise of blessing, the promise to David, the promise to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning or this evening or whenever we're watching this. And Father, I pray that you just speak through me. That will not be my words or thoughts, but your truth that leads us to a devoted life to you, that we might live all for you. And I thank you for the miracle of technology in this time of isolation. It does not preclude the fact that we can hear your gospel and respond accordingly. So God, just speak, move, let us be comfortable and content in you and holding on to you in this season of fear, may we move toward faith and faith in you that holds us. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, <laughs> overcomes Corona. So thank you for what you're gonna say through King David's life. We pray this in your name, amen. You know, there's a tendency that I have to kind of deal on the historicity of an individual like David, to kind of dig into the academic side of who he is and what he did and how he lived. But we're not gonna take a lot of time on that, but I want to set this up. I want you to understand who David is. Now, if you trace David's lineage, you'll find uh, stories like Ruth and Boaz, that Ruth was his grandmother. And you can say, well, who is that? You can go read and find that out. You trace him all the way back to the captivity uh, of, of the Hebrew children in Egypt. He was from the tribe of Judah. And it's part of the Mosaic covenant, the freeing there. And you go all the way back to Abraham. And of course, you go all the way back to the sons of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Jephthah, that he was a descendant of, of Sham. And that's who he is and how he works. But let me give you a little more about him. In 2 Samuel 23, 1, it says this. David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. I love that title, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Let me tell you who he was. First of all, he was the redneck from Bethlehem, his shepherd. Really interesting because you would think that a shepherd would become a king. Now we read this and we think, oh, he's a shepherd. But the Hebrew people, they didn't trust shepherds. They were considered liars and vagabonds and thieves. They could even go to the temple to worship they were considered outcast, a lower caste society. In fact, in a, 
In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about see forever. I want to talk about to you about the rich man and Lazarus and see that there was social separation and segregation by the Hebrews. It was unbelievable. But here this is, this king is a shepherd. What? Yeah. God sees greatness in you despite what others say about you. That's pretty amazing. I remember an old song that I used to sing back in the day that when others see a shepherd boy, God sees a king. Even though your life is filled with ordinary things, in a moment he could touch you and everything changes. When others see a shepherd boy, God sees a king. And David was a shepherd. But David was also a musician. He was a singer, a psalmist, a writer of songs, a player of probably the harp. Uh, they called it a lyre, a harp, a string instrument that he was a musician. He sang a creative, an athlete, a warrior, that David was a fierce warrior, a guy that would, as a teenager, pick up five smooth stones and face one of the most formidable opponents in the ancient world, the giant from Gath named Goliath. And he faced him and he killed him and he, and he cut off his head and he had the sword of Goliath. And that's, that's how he lived his life as a warrior. David was a mighty man and he surrounded himself with mighty men. David was a great warrior. But David was also a king. A king with a kingly heart. A king that looked after the needs of his people. When God said to Israel, finally, you can have a king, he didn't want the king to be some this separated pontiff that did what he wanted them to do. He wanted this king to be a shepherd of his people. So David, in the preparation of his life, he taught him to tend sheep so we could tend people. To take care of sheep so you take care of people. You know, as a pastor, I hear this all the time, shepherd your flock. In this time of kind of distance and isolation, you have not left my heart. I still pray for you. I think about you. I try to reach out to you uh, through the use of technology, but you have not left my heart. I'm still your pastor because that's what God wants kings to be, pastors to be, not lords over people, but shepherds that care for one another. And that's who we are. But he was also some other things. David was an adulterer. You see, he saw Bathsheba taking a bath on a rooftop and he desired her and he went to her and we could talk about the situations. Did Bathsheba know what she was doing? Or David, obviously he knew what he was doing. He needed to make a pastoral visit. And he, and he got himself in trouble. Why would he do that when he had seven wives and he had 27 concubines? Why would he do that? Because I want to tell you something about illicit sex. It will take you to places you never wanted to go and it will destroy your life further than you could ever imagine. And so David stepped into this and out of that he became a murderer because he murdered Uriah the Hittite, who was the husband of Bathsheba. To cover up the fact that he had impregnated Bathsheba, he had Uriah the Hittite, who was one of his mighty men, his trusted men. Uriah the Hittite, that means he was not an Israelite, he was a Hittite. Even someone that was far away, maybe David felt like because he wasn't an Israelite, he could murder him and get away with him, away with it. But Nathan the prophet came and confronted David with his adultery and his murder, but also who was a distant father. As things unfolded and there was just him not paying attention to his kids, uh, Amon, his son, rapes his daughter, Tamar, and uh, David's daughter, Tamar. And then uh, uh, this brings this huge shame to the family and David did nothing. And then Absalom took revenge and killed Amon and David did nothing. Absalom was then segregated from the family and finally brought back and then he rose up a rebellion and David did nothing. 
David was a broken, distant man. But this is what the Bible says about him. In spite of all those things, he was a man after God's own heart. How? I mean, you look at all this mess. Yeah, he was a shepherd. He was a musician. He was a warrior. He was a king. He was a guy that pursued God. Even in the middle of his mess, God was working in his life. And I read this about David, and it brings hope to me. I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm a perfect father, but I am a broken man who needs a perfect God. And God in his perfection takes me in my brokenness and he weaves me in by grace through faith that I might be what he wants me to be. It's amazing. How did David become this man? What happened with David? Here's some thoughts. And this is the pathway for you as well. It starts with faith. <clears throat> it starts with faith. So David stood there with his brothers and Samuel took a flask of olive oil that he had brought and anointed David with that oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him from that day forward. What is this saying? It's saying this, that David believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Where did that belief start? Maybe in the solitude of his sheep tending, he came to trust in the Lord. Maybe in the training of his family, hearing the story on the lap of his mother, his grandmother, Ruth, he heard about God being the kinsman redeemer. Maybe from Boaz, who took his old callous farmer's hands, placed it firmly on his boy and, and instructed him in the ways of the Lord. Maybe Jesse was a devout man. But it's through the decision that he made to God that God made him his. It's the same pathway for us. The decisions we make by faith become the destinies of our life in the days ahead. David's deep faith then propelled him, propelled him to face lions and bears. In fact, when he went up to, to fight against Goliath, he told Samuel, Saul, the king, he said, I'm not scared of John. I've, I fought lions and bears. I just grabbed him by the beard and clubbed him in the head. It's over. Okay, David might have had a little Cajun in him too. That's kind of crazy. But David had this faith he believed in God to face giants like Goliath and, and other adversities like running from Saul. The hardships of life were creating a pathway of greatness for David. You see, greatness is always formed, always forged with the broadsword of adversity. I, I've said this, that the pathway of greatness is paved with the cobblestones of adversity, and I believe that's true. I believe that God forges us into a, into a sword that he can use as he grinds our edges down through hardships and, and times of struggle. And you know, in this time of corona and times of struggle, I feel the whetstone of God shaping my life now as a leader to become more aware of how I want to become over-obsessive and controlling and domineering, that in stress that I retreat and become withdrawn. And all these things are coming to light that I just, I need Jesus and I need him badly. But I can look back at God's faithfulness and it gives me assurance for my future. If God has been faithful to me here when I've been so unfaithful, then God is going to be faithful to me in the future based on his promises and not mine. Faithfulness gives us the assurance that God is with us. David's faith was clearly displayed through his, through his psalms. Listen to this psalm. 
I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my God, where I seek refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. That's the Psalm of David. David also experienced becoming David by obeying God. Not just by believing God, but acting out that belief and obedience. This is what he said in Psalm 23, excuse me, 32. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad all you who obey him. Shout for joy all you whose hearts are pure. And a pure heart is not displayed in the pontification of our mouths. It's displayed in the behavior of our hands and the pathway of our feet by obeying God. David, a man whom God said, I've found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do because he obeyed God. He was displaying his faith. James says this, faith without obedience is really not faith. It's just words that our faith then propels us to do the things God wants us to do. Because we have been saved by God, we obey God by living all for him. David did all that God asked him to do, all of it. David was quick to repent when he had done wrong. In the season where he sinned with Bathsheba and then furthered the sin by murdering Uriah the Hittite, Nathan the prophet came and confronted him that what David thought was done in secret was actually done in the full disclosure of God himself. And Nathan told him a story about a shepherd, get this, and a sheep, get that. That David as a shepherd, he probably had a pet lamb growing up, carried it around his neck and goodness, I drive in the hill country here and I see baby goats and they're so cute. And, and you know, so why wouldn't you want one of those as a pet? But David tell, David, Nathan tells David a story about a man, a rich man who has a, a, a pet sheep, a, a poor man has a pet sheep and a rich man who comes, takes that sheep and kills it and gives it as a feast to his guest. And David gets so irate. He said, you bring that rich man to me right now and I will take care of this. I will bring justice on him. The warrior David sprang up and said, I will deal with this as a king should deal with this. No man should do that kind of vile thing. And Nathan goes, uh, excuse me, David. You're the man. Because you took Uriah, the Hittite's wife. When you had all this, you came and did that. And David repented. You see, one of the signs of spiritual maturity is to recognize sinfulness and repent of it quickly. To say, I'm not going to let this fester in my soul. And David actually went into deep levels of repentance. But there's some other things that happened with David that shows us he has a heart after God. When David was on the run from Saul, he, he had a season where he went to the arch enemies, the Philistines. Now, I don't know why in the Philistines, the world, the Philistines would want to have him in because he'd kill their great warrior, Goliath of Gath. And the Philistines brought him in and you could read about that. It's amazing in 1 Samuel how all of this transpired and, and, and went down and, and David then he, he went out and he fought and he pretended like he was fighting for the Philistines when he was really fighting against them. And, and he comes back after a warring party to the place where he's living called Ziglag. And he came back and Ziglag was burned to the ground. The Amalekites had come in. They'd taken everyone hostage and they'd fled. And David was broken because the things that he had loved and the things he had owned had been stolen by the Amalekites. You know what I've discovered about a season like Ziglag? That when I'm squeezed under the pressure of adversity, my character is then displayed. 
And you know what David's character was displayed? The Bible says he comforted himself in the name of the Lord his God. He comforted himself in the Lord. He put on the priestly epoch. He said, God, I want to know you. God, I want to be near you. And the Lord whispered to him, said, David, go back, go get up and go get those kids. Everything that I've taken is restored. Go back and get those kids. And so David then acted in obedience, but the first thing he did was he turned to the Lord. Is that what we do in our lives? You know, I have a tendency to turn to blame first and then to shame next. But I need to learn to turn to the Lord. And in this season of uncertainty, are you trusting in the government and a stimulus check? Are you trusting in the name of the Lord your God? Now, I believe this. God can actually use the government. What? Yeah, God can use the government to help us get through this season. But if our dependence upon the government, we're in a bad shape. Ronald Reagan said this, the scariest phrase you could hear. Hi, I'm with the government and I'm here to help. Well, that's what Ronald Reagan said. But the truth is, our trust has to be in the Lord, even in the seasons of Ziglag, because David found his hope in God. And so must we. This is what he said in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is the, my fortress, protecting me from danger. Why should I tremble? Wow. Through all the turns and twists of his life, through the seasons of shepherding, of fighting giants, of on the run, of becoming king, to sin and debauchery, to rebellion and shame, David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I fear? And you could do that as well. You know, you don't have to be a Bible scholar in order to be a person who lives all for Jesus. Doesn't hurt to know the Bible. In fact, you should know the Bible. But I'll tell you something. The Bible without application is just trivial knowledge. The Bible with application is bread and honey and milk and meat. So God wants you to know him. The hope, this hope in God produced a man that brought the covenant promise, the royal promise of King Jesus. Let me remind you of it. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. Your throne will be secure forever. And that was the Davidic covenant to the promise, the promise keeper, the promise kept, King Jesus. Because David lived that way. So let me just kind of wrap it up with this. After David had done the will of God in his generation, he died and was buried. You see, a few years ago, um, I went on a great adventure with my family, with well, actually with the men of the Weatherford families, back when my dad was still alive and, and my son Caleb was a little boy and my brother David, who's the history professor, we, we went on a, a great adventure. We wanted to go find the grave of our ancestor, Red Eagle, William Henry Weatherford, the warrior of the Creek Indian Nation. We wanted to go find him. So we, we went down the goat trails of, uh, or pig trails of, of South Alabama, Monroe County, on the, on the banks of uh, the Tidshaw River. We wanted to go find the graveyard of William Henry Weatherford. And of course, he's buried by his mother, the, the Creek Indian Princess Sahoy. We wanted to go find his grave. So we, we found it. And while we're standing there, my brother, David, the historian, began to pontificate about all the history of William Henry Weatherford, how he did all these great things, how he, he, uh, he fought the battle at Fort Mims. He, he was defeated by Andrew Jackson. He was almost captured by the forces, the United States forces, but he jumped off the banks of the Alabama River off a cliff 100 feet down into the water and, 
and on his horse and swam across the river and escaped enemy forces. How he rode with bravery into to Andrew Jackson's camp and, and negotiated a peace treaty between the United States and the Creek Indians. How he'd done all those things and he told all those stories and I kept thinking, what are people gonna say about me when I'm gone? Are my ancestors gonna gather in my grave and tell great stories? Probably not. But will my kids say of me and my grandkids say of me and perhaps my great-grandchildren say of me and perhaps some of you say of me, he fulfilled the will of God in his generation and then he died and was buried. I don't think there could be a greater thing said that we fulfill the will of God generation and then we're buried. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support, strengthen those whose hearts are completely his. Is that your heart? Is that my heart? We sing a song every now and then that says, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence I will live. I surrender all. That's how your heart gets fixed, is that I surrender. There's a modern arrangement of that song that adds this. Take it all, take it all, my life in your hands. I wear a bracelet. I've worn it for about seven years. It's not this one I've wrote, I've given several away. It says on an offer, Jesus. You know, the promises of God are in Christ Jesus that I might live all for him. And God is fixing his gaze on you now to strengthen you in this season of uncertainty so that you might live all for him. My prayer is that you will do that. I will do that. And we will live to fulfill the promises of God that are all yes in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. And I pray, Father, that we will not exit this video without claiming you as Savior and Lord and deciding to live all for you. And I thank you for how good and great you are. And I pray this in your strong name. Amen. Let me conclude with this thought to you. If you made a decision today, just let us know. Check that decision card. We want to send you a free gift. If you want to take next steps, we're going to help you with that. But let us know what God has got going on in your life. And my prayer is that you will bask in the promises of God and that promises a person. His name is Jesus. I love you. I hope this helps.